Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Monday, and it's time for What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Keeper, and welcome to 2019. This is the first show for my season. And I just want to say that this year kicks off our 10th year of broadcasting, of podcasting, I should say, for the Heritage Radio Network. And, um, you know, round of applause. Thank you very much. I've been here since the beginning. Thanks to Patrick Martins, the founder of this station. And I have enjoyed every single moment of it. And I have learned more than I can possibly convey to you. Well, actually, I try to convey it every single week. Um, and so in that, to that end, uh, I'm having one of my very famous and favorite and also slightly famous, somewhat famous guest, Amanda Hitt. Amanda is the uh, director of the Government Accountability Project's Food Integrity Campaign, which is also celebrating its 10th year. She oversees the Food Integrity Campaign operations and is responsible for ensuring that it fulfills its mission of enhancing food integrity by facilitating truth-telling. And in fact, their, um, you know, the email address there is whistleblower.org. So um, to do this, Amanda works closely with partner organizations, clients, legislators, and the media, that's me, to alter the, ba- and others, to alter the balance of power between the food industry and consumers. You can't imagine, especially especially right now, how very important Amanda Hitt's job is. And we're going to talk about that uh, in a few minutes. But um, we're going to start the show, and I could go on and on about how many fantastic law degrees she has and all the incredible work Amanda has done, which I have to say puts somebody like me totally to shame. Um, but the fact is, is that we don't have enough time for that, and you can always look it up. Um, go to Government Accountability excuse me, Project's uh, website, and you can look up Amanda and her extraordinary background. Um, but in the meantime, she is going to uh, join me now. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's oh. so fun and so exciting to be back. I know. It's been, uh, it has been a long time, and I'm realizing that the first time you were on my show was probably about eight years ago with Timothy Pacharat, who turned me on to you from his book, Every 12 Seconds. He informed me about your presence and the Food Integrity Campaign, and then you became a you know, semi-regular guest, and it's been a couple of years. So um, my apologies for not staying in the loop with you, but um, but here we are, and we'll, we have much to talk about, and we will be talking about many things over the course of next year, because as you and I were just saying off the air, uh, one of the um, key points of the Reagan administration, of, of the Reagan, listen to me, of the Reagan, of the Trump administration is to, um, <laughs> Matt's I'm, my engineer laughing, laughing at me. Face. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I date myself with the Reagan administration and my outrage. Um <laughs> But uh, one of the key points uh, to note about the Trump administration is when people say, well, he hasn't done anything that bad yet. Well, yeah, he has, because what he has done is, um, and uh, Amanda will will correct me if I'm wrong in any way, but what he has done is roll back a lot of major regulations uh, that we need to ensure our food safety. Why don't you give people a quick idea of some of the things that you guys have been working on, and then we'll talk about uh, uh, contract growing for a poultry industry. 
Yeah, the, the list of uh, rolled back regulations are, are myriad. I mean, there's there's too much for us to talk about today, but yeah. I can talk to you uh, briefly about a couple of those regulations that we've been um, working on. Uh, we we do we represent clients in the court of uh, pu- public opinion and, of course, the courts of law. So right. um, uh, some of the things I'll, I'll tell you about are, are sort of our, our policy end and what we're doing on the policy beat uh, to keep um, to keep some of these important regulations moving moving forward and, and not getting destroyed, and then what we're doing um, on the offensive to fight back. So what we're doing right. in court to, to sort of uh, let people let the administration know that this isn't going to happen without a fight. And so one of the one of the one one of the things that we are doing. It's um it's something called hemp, H I M P, right? Um, not H E M P, H E M P. Everybody'd be, be tuning in, but H I M P. Everybody's wondering what's that. So yeah. it, at, the, at its very very basic level, um, you're speeding up the line speeds, the slaughter line speeds for, and and what's happening now is poultry um, and pork, and you're right. reducing the level of inspection. Right, and you and I There's talked about this years that. ago. So, yeah, oh yeah, this is this is fifteen twenty years. I mean, this is yeah. this is long before Trump. There was this idea that we could allow the the these meat industries to self regulate. Right, and and that's and that's going to be great because that means less federal inspectors. You trim up the the budget, and of course, you know nobody needs these you know ridiculous meat. The meat industry is known for being uh, wonderful self-regulators, meticulous in, <laughs> and, and making sure that all of the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Of course I'm being sarcastic. Of course that's not yeah. true. We know that from Upton Sinclair. Um, right, know, and really not much has changed, unfortunately. Not, nothing has changed because, yeah. the, because the system only operates when the workers are um, are exploited and underserved, and I right. know that you know. Say, oh, that's some crazy SWJ. And talk, 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 not, you know, no, I'm, I'm really serious. Like, if you look at the meat industry, look at looking back at the jungle, looking back at that book, you see right. it today. You see it too. Oh, you yeah. can't. You can't have workers who speak, because if they could speak, they would tell you how awful it is. Yeah. And nobody would eat that meat, right? Right. right. So, think about what I'm doing. As a whistleblower lawyer for for the food and, for f- food and agriculture, that's who I am. So foodwhistleblower.org, actually. So right. food whistleblower. So we we go out and we try to give those people a voice. And when they speak, they say so much. And the reason I'm giving you the, that website is if you'd like to read what some of these people have to say about what's going on in the meat industry, we have for you all of the, uh, all, uh, uh, I think, over 20 affidavits that wow. you can read um, from people, uh, firsthand accounts of what's really happening with your food. Um, and, what, and just so you know, just to give you some perspective, they, they're, 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 all of those affidavits that are on our website are from pilot plants. So hemp hasn't gone through all the way in pork, um, and there's increased line speeds already in poultry now, but it hasn't gone through. Um, and you can read what these folks have to say, the folks that are working in the pilot program. It's, it's really it's astonishing. And, and this has been going on on my end. Of, like you mentioned, I've been around 10 years, so probably about four of the last 10 years has, has just been on hemp. Yeah. Just fighting this fight to try to slow slow the speeds down, and and I just want you to know, you are a lot like well, it makes my food gross. It doesn't just make your food gross; it makes your environment suffer. The animals suffer more. Yeah. Um. And and it's it's in of course the workers. Uh, it was horrible. Um. 
you know, musculo, musculoskeletal injuries, injuries right. you know, like carpal tunnel and, and all chopped off hands and fingers. And I mean, it's, it's, a, it's not a lot has changed since the jungle. So, um, but fortunately for everyone, Donald Trump was elected and now we can look forward to this um, every day when we eat our, our happy meals. We can be happy that we have we have we have chosen well and we have deregulated the <laughs> right. meat industry. We've allowed the meat industry to run roughshod yet again. Like yeah, there was like I mean, with the Food well, Safety Modernization Act, there was some effort to rein this in and uh, yeah. now it's just all all holds well, are unbarred as it were. Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, you you know this. So, so food safety monitors, that's that's FDA regulated food, right? So yes. This is they couldn't get to the meat industry. This isn't this right. is an extraordinarily powerful lobby, um, and I think that <laughs> I haven't taken up the entire show talking about him, okay. but that kind of moves us into Gypsa yes. and the power of that lobby, and we see what happens there, right? So now we're looking at um, another regulation. This one designed to create some sense of equity between these monolithic giant food industries, which are all commingled seed slash uh, pesticide slash, I, I mean, even, uh, I, I don't know if you, I'm just totally going off on a tangent, but I have That's to go okay. there because I don't know if your listeners know this. Did you know that Blackwater, you know who Blackwater is? Yes, I do. Eric Prince's, uh, Bessie DeVos's brother's organization of mercenaries. Yes. Yeah. For people who don't know. <laughs> you did, yes. Did you know that he's in the sustainable beef industry? No, I did not. Oh, my God. Isn't that something? Isn't that weird? Yes. It's sort of counterintuitive. You'd think he'd be the one who's like, yeah, let's ramp up the industry here. Well, I mean... I, I mean, it does give you pause, right? Because, but it's this, um, it's this, uh, it's, it's, it's called Blackwater Beef. You. So, I mean, if you, I mean, it's like, I guess you didn't want to eat that stuff. So, right? um, like, moving to a more sustainable model and away from this corporate stuff. But, um, it makes it cheap. Um, we need cheap protein to feed the masses and keep, keep people sort of satiated and happy. But, um, it's, 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 it's like, God, oh, do we, do we want to do this? Do we want to kill the environment, animals and people and all, all of the above, you know, to just keep the price of beef artificially low in the United States? Beef, and, poultry, and pork, all three of them po- are artificially well, depressed. Pork, yeah, the whole, the whole thing. Yeah, so, no, it's really astonishing. Anyway, and, you know, but, um, as, a, as a complete um, aside to that, I am about to leave for Spain for a month. Ooh. Um, and I have gotten myself in touch with uh, some people who are organizing a movement in Spain to counter the rising tide of industrially produced pork. Because, you know, the Spaniards mm-hmm. are famous for their Iberico pork. Yeah, and yeah. one of the things that I just learned from my con- one of my contacts over there is that the Chinese have now uh, contracted with several large pork producers in Spain, and they're ramping up their production exponentially, which obviously will have the same terrible impacts over there that it has over here. And, of course, they're locating those CAFOs in... You know, um, rural and low-income communities, just the way they do here. Uh, they have no plans for how to manage their waste, just as they don't here. I mean, it's it's, you know, the American model, as I say in my book, which I'm bringing you a copy of, by the way. Um, oh, fantastic. <laughs> 
<laughs> the American model has really penetrated deep into uh, every corner of even uh, countries where artisanally produced, um, you know, food products are a tradition and a way of life. And it's really, it's a sad thing to see. And I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about their resistance and uh, hoping to push that along for them as, as best I can, just by bringing some, um, bringing some more light to it uh, for, you know, from other countries. Um, but let's, let's, let's go back to the gypsy thing because, yeah. you know, people's eyes glaze over, as we said, GYPSA stands for Grain Inspection and Stockyards Act, uh, which was enacted way back, I think in the 30s or something. Um, and it was uh, under the Obama administration, it was uh, theoretically going to be updated. Um, and somehow uh, those uh, updates haven't really, first they were, they were watered down extensively. And then they didn't really take. But one of the things that they sought to regulate and the subject of our, our conversation today um, is is uh, regulating the contracts that exist between poultry integrators and poultry growers. So the poultry integrator would be like a Tyson, uh, a Pilgrim's Pride, um, a Sanderson. And there's another company that I had never heard of, Cook. which is, which one is it? You know, are you thinking of Cook? Maybe. Or Coke. K-O-C-H? Yes, that's it. K-O-C-H. Yes, yes. Uh, I'd never heard of them before, um, which is kind of weird. But they don't obviously brand their pro- – they have other names for those brands, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we want we, – you and I are, are talking about a case that has managed to wind its way through a process, and I'd like to know what that process is, in which um, a certain grower is, bring, has, is successfully bringing a suit against uh, another big poultry integrator. Um, f- first of all, how did he get, you know, sort of from the complaint <laughs> experience to to actually getting a suit off the ground because I mean even just that in itself I think is probably quite a process. Well, I, I guess I should should say in, as just a reminder. So we have we have two contract grower cases. Yes, one we brought under the aforementioned uh, FSMA FSMA uh-huh. Food Safety Modernization Act. That was Craig Watts. You probably remember him. But, oh yes, um, I do absolutely. Who, I've spoken to him a number of times. Uh, yeah. He's a great guy. Um, but that one, we're you know we're we're saying our 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 general sort of statement there is that um, he blew the whistle on food safety issues, uh-huh. and then he was retaliated against, and that violates FISMA. So that's how he got that that process has to go through it exhausts through the Department of Labor. So that's kind of a oh interesting that's a thing you know yeah that's um, a big thing yeah yeah so it, it just takes a while and we're still there and. Um, you know, we'll see. You know, we'll see where we are. Actually, it's it's going to come down to what Craig wants to do because it's it's more it's you know years more of litigation right. on that case. But um, with uh, Eric Hedricks, he we filed that in, in federal court in uh, West Virginia. Uh-huh. So that pro- that was not much of a process at all, um, and we are in those these very early nascent stage, stages. So I would say in this case, we don't want to count our chickens. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get through. Good one, Amanda. I know, I know. I thought it was good. It almost but, went by me, but then I got it. No, I'm, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, quick yeah. on the uptake so, here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not so quick. I've got a cough. Don't make me laugh. Okay. Anyway, um, no, so I, I don't want to, you know, we're not in the in, end zone. It's no time to do the do the, do the dance. Do you the know? happy dance, um, yeah. Do the happy dance. We have to, we'll see where we go. And, you know, there, we, unfortunately, I, I, I didn't, uh, you know, last time I talked to you, I, I didn't even talk about the, um, I think it's got the Terry case. And oh. um, that, uh, that just went up on appeal and uh, the appeal was, appeal was denied. And it was a case um, 
on those very same Obama uh, Fair Farmer Act, Fair Farmer Fair Farmer Practices, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, there's two Fs together. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's tough. The, what differentiates Eric's case, Eric Hedrick? Why we feel, I think we're in a good place uh, for this case, I think it's 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 I think a lot of things that he, he I think he has a lot of things lined up. We looked long and hard before we took his case because I don't know if you know this, but suing people is hard yeah. um, and expensive. Right. And our clients don't pay. We they don't pay. We don't we don't you, you don't know, charge them. Right. We don't charge them. So and they not only don't charge not even like cost or fee. So all of those things we have to shoulder right up front. I'm right on, and right from the beginning. So uh-huh. um, we got, went through quite a quite a process before picking Eric's case to go forward. Right. I can only say, you know, it's in litigation now, so I don't want to get, I can't get too deep in the weeds with you, but I can say that his has his has promise in a lot of dimensions rather than you know one big winner right he's got a, he's got a the whole panel of uh good things going for him that we look for in, in taking taking on a case so um we're optimistic um for for your listeners who are like well what's this case all about it's unfortunately very <laughs> it's very much a classic case right yes. it's very much a it's it's everything that I'm sure you've already covered on this show. Um, well, we can always go back over it. In fact, I think it's best to just like like the Fair Farmer Practices Act that we were talking about. Um, part of that act was meant to allow uh, contract growers such as Eric to uh, basically have some sort of transparency with the contract they're signing. And I wanted to ask you about that because in the complaint, it's it's referred to as a contract of adhesion. And of course, everybody wonders like if you're in the poultry business and you sign up with an integrator uh, and you, you know, you know what your contract is, then, you know, why are you complaining if everything doesn't go the way you want it to? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, what I want to sort of cover in this show with you is, is the, all of the many ways in which the contract is essentially stacked against anyone who gets into bed with a poultry or pork integrator, or even for that matter, in the cattle business, it's a slightly different model, but it's still, you're basically at the mercy of these large companies. So can you talk a little bit about what a contract of adhesion is and sort of, you know, what, how, 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 a contract grower essentially has, you know, his legs cut out from under him before he, you know, as soon as he signs the bottom line. <laughs> you know, the, the, the contract of adhesion concept is sort of that it's a take it or leave it. And I think for you to understand why one would take it at all, yeah. is you have to kind of understand the area's geography that these people are coming from. So, so let's talk about Eric Hedrick specifically. Okay. So he's in West Virginia. Right. West Virginia is not doing well economically. There are not a lot of jobs. Remember, dig, baby, dig, you know, like the whole, like sure. anything, get, the, people were begging to have coal mining back. Yes, they want the coal mining, yes, right. That's how bad things are. Yeah. So the new coal mining in West Virginia is contract growing. So you take the same sort of, you know, uh, people who, who don't have a chance. And then here comes the industry, these, you know, the fat cats, they've got everything going for them, and they say, I can make you rich if you you go and get one of these very easy to get federally subsidized loans. Sounds like huh. the housing of 2008. Right. Yeah, same thing, right? You go get one of those big fat loans. Oh, and also um, make sure you that lo- that loan. You, you just go ahead and uh, you you back that loan with your family farm. Right. 
So you mortgage your farm, essentially. That's all you have. That's all your children will inherit. It's all you ever got, right? You're just this West Virginia guy, or maybe you lady, but a lot of times it's it's gentlemen that do this. Or a family. Or families. Yeah, Yeah. the families. Like in Eric's case, it's a family farm. And same with Craig Watts, family farm. Right. So... um, they do this, and, and they say in the, the industry, the companies promise you riches. Well, you know, like you say, well, you're a fool if you believed that, you know, believe that. But the, this is the thing. I've seen this stuff that the company yes. gives. It's very compelling, Katie. It's, I mean, I'm an attorney. I'm, I think I'm pretty nuanced, and I've got my, I wouldn't be duped. But, I, I mean, if someone said, well, you have all this land, why don't you turn it into something profitable? Right. You, dig, you know, why don't you make something happen? So they sell them these dreams. And then immediately sort of loop them into this this rotating debt. And so by that, so they drop the initial million to get in, but right when they're um, almost breaking even and ready to pay off the farm, the company comes in and says, oh, you're going to need all new uh, uh, heating and the, right. or all new All new all ventilation. New ventilation. Yeah. yeah. What's that going to A million dollars, right? right? Or, or so maybe not a million, but a, but a lot. But a lot. So, Back, back goes this cycle of debt. And so what happens is, it's like, I don't know, my, I, rem- I live in, I, I kind of grew, well, that's rural, actually, but close to my rural home, suburban life, and you would see the same sort of uh, awning on every little house. Uh-huh. And that's because some, somebody went through and sold those awnings, to, and your neighbor got the awning, and you were, and it just did that. And that's what you see in, in West Virginia. Somebody across the holler got, you know, going to be rich with these, uh, you know, this chicken stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do it. And the next guy does it, and the next guy does it. And you say, well, why don't they whisper down the telephone that this, this, it's, a, it's a horrible thing? It's not game. working out so well. Well, here's what the company does, and this is what's so unbelievable that this happens in the United States in 2019. Yeah. The, they, they, they actually, the companies are so nefarious that they, they, if they find out you've been talking about what's wrong with, with you know, the system, yeah. they actually retaliate against you. Right. So one of the things that you, in these fair farmer practices that we were you know, just discussing is to stop retaliating against people. Right. And also let them join groups of other growers. They can't even, it's not that they're trying to unionize. They just want to meet and find out what the, what's experience the other guy's having. But they can't do that in the current system because they're isolated. And that's kind of how that system works. Well, talk about the tournament system because that's, I mean, to me, that is one of the most, and of course, all of these companies absolutely deny that that is a factor. When uh, when um, Chris Leonard came out with the meat racket a few years ago, uh, and it was about the Tyson company, and uh, they stoutly denied this is absolutely not the case. We do not do tournaments, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. and it's, and tournaments are for, you know, people who haven't read the meat racket or haven't listened to this show enough. Um, you know, basically what happened is that these com- these integrators like the Tyson people they um, they rank the growers and they pit the growers against each other but the growers are not as Amanda you just said the growers are not allowed to speak to each other about the price per pound for example that they're getting which is a, I, I think an absolutely shocking and shameful uh, aspect of this so these guys, am I right about that the guys don't know how much right. money they're going to make per bird until they get weighed and taken away and weighed by the company so they're and, not and even also, present when that happens. They're not even present, and they don't even—they don't know when they the tournament lists 
who's on top to bottom, yeah. they only see themselves in the list. Everybody else is anonymous. So you can't even ask, wow. what, hey, why'd you, how'd you do so well? Or right. what made you do so poorly? Right. Right. Fascinating. It's I, I mean, it's just the whole tournament thing. Um, and so when, when they want to, uh, when they... Let's back up for a second. Uh, okay. We're going to take a quick break in a second, but I just want to ask this one question. What is, I mean, why is this profitable for companies to make these growers continually upgrade and go into debt? Like, is that a way of keeping them within their system? I, I you know, I, I'm sort of baffled by the perniciousness, you know, the kind of basically evil quality of this experience for the grower. But I, I, I'm struggling to see why it's so successful for the for the integrators. What do you what do you think is the motivation? Well, I mean, I think that you know, and that's how the how how it works, how math how works. How they in control it, it price wise. I don't know the control. I don't know. Yeah, no. I mean, so the only so they this is this one area. So yeah, your listeners know. So they they own every single step from right. egg to to omelet. Like they own yeah. everything. So they they own even where the little chick, chickies grow right, like come out like of the hatchery right, yep. and into the grower. The only problem they have is this middle guy that they have to pay to bird babysit. Right. And they don't see a person. They see an area that must be squoze, right? Squeeze it, squeeze it, squeeze it, squeeze it. And get that as to maximize your profit. Is it evil? I don't I don't know if it's evil, but it is the way that you do it is you 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 squeeze that that to a zero like you want to or as close to zero as possible and that's how the machine works and i don't think the machine has a lot of feeling or thought certainly doesn't have any empathy and it and and you'll see you know the industry fighting back you know we can't be profitable but for this exploitation i mean they're pretty honest about it right um because you can't none of this is as it is, as much as it is not, it's, it's not transparent to the average consumer. I don't think they they don't know oh, no, this. People have no idea about. Yeah, they don't know about it. But but it but as far as sort of operating in the light of day, they can't really deny what they're doing. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? Yeah. And it's what's interesting here, and what bothers me maybe most, and I don't know why it bothers me more than because the, the corporation is, you know, it's, it, it operates on the profit motive. It. it I mean, it doesn't have a soul. It's not going to sink, and it's not moral. But the government helps the, this in all kinds of ways, facilitates this wrongdoing upon the citizenry. And overwhelmingly, these citizens that are getting the the hit, the getting hurt in all of this, are poor people. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, maybe some of them are doing okay, they're not doing great, you know what I mean, right. and especially you know my friends in West Virginia who are who are being beat down on this, and it's not easy, you know, to to feel sorry for these folks, I guess, because our inclination is like, well, I, you got a bad deal, but it's not a bad deal. It's a it's a bad system, and right. they're a part of it. So right. that's a little different. It is. All right, let's take a quick break uh, for a sponsor drop, and we'll be right back with Amanda Hitt from the Government Accountability Project. Uh, stay tuned for more. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. 
Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and their rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. So let's let's review some of the. Um, I, oh, I know what I want to talk about. I want to talk <laughs> about in that in the complaint. I don't know if you're allowed to say anything about this, but there is yeah, yeah. an article in the complaint in which. Uh, the company decides that the it, the grower is is going to. They instruct him to grow a lighter bird. Like okay, so he's been told up until now he's been growing four pound birds. Suddenly they announce to him, we don't want four pound birds. We want three and a half pound birds because mm-hmm. then we're going to inject enough water. Which by the way is fully completely legal. We're going to inject enough water to bring it up to four pounds. But then that means that they can pay him less. Is that right? That's right. Well, it's going to be a smaller bird, so his, his yield is going to be less, and it's going to be less efficient in the tournament system, so he's not going to do as well. I would like to point out, though, again, in case you didn't already know, and I think, Katie, you have, you have let people know, the water that they're filling those birds up with, just FYI, in case yeah. you did not know, is shit water. So it's loaded up with fecal water. Jesus, I we- did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come they on. put in these big chillers. Yeah. So they lowered the weight and then fattened the birds with shit water. Oh, my and, God. And so, I know. So it's like, so when you're thinking, when you hear me talking talk, talk to you about the gypsum stuff and you know, bad, bad industry, it's, much, it's actually much worse than you think. And you need, you need regulation. You need your government stepping in. This is, we all eat. Like, we yeah. all have a stake in this, you yeah. know? No steak. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> You're killing me with the puns, girl. I didn't even know I did that one. That time. I, just it out. I can't even own it. It's like a pun fart. I just sort of let it out. Amanda, you <laughs> know how that happened. <laughs> you know that's you know that is a really an extraordinary point because like let's go off on a tangent for a second about okay. farmers. Like most farmers that I've met. Um, and usually those people are people who work in um, animal ag because that's my my particular interest. Mm-hmm. They tend to be very conservative and they're Trump voters. And like when I had Mike Weaver from Organization for Competitive Markets on here, like, you know, last spring, you know, he was like he voted for Trump and he said, you know, most of the guys that he knows voted for Trump and they'll probably vote for him again. Mm-hmm. And and the reason behind that is because they really resent the regulations. I know. And it's like, it's crazy. you know, you're, you're killing yourselves. You're shooting yourselves in the foot. I mean, they probably, I don't know whether they were upset when the Farmer Fair Practices, uh, you know, rules were gutted. Um, it, you know, it, well, that was actually a few, that was during the Obama administration, but it was under the, when the C- Congress was solidly Republican. They were the ones who did that. So, 
<clears throat> you know, it's like it's you know you're really voting against your own best interests, which is something that I see over and over again in the agricultural community. And I I don't wish to, uh, you know, I'm not trying to. Um, be disrespectful. But at the same time, I, I find it absolutely astonishing and, and perplexing as, you know, as these monopolies of businesses squeeze the life out of these guys, that they're not uh, organizing themselves into some kind of a union that would fight back, that would generate money, that would help them win lawsuits, that, you know, it's the same thing in the dairy industry. There's no difference, really, between dairy and animal ag. I mean, they're they're just getting screwed by these big corporations. It is, you know, it's, it, I can't, I don't really, you know, I met a lot of growers, right? And, um, yeah. and I don't know any of them that aren't Republicans. I, I, they're all right. Republicans. And, you know, um, maybe not, not, not all, but I would say the vast majority. And and I, I remember meeting with a, uh, went out to, the, to a farm and um, the farmer was like, well, everything will be okay. Trump will take care of this. And I was like, well, <clears throat> I don't think so. But I, I, I didn't know. I didn't kind of, and I'll, I was with two other lawyers, and we all got in the car, and we are like, hey, where did that come from? Yeah. And we're like, what? We, none of us, we just, it was like four-hour drive home, and we we're all just sort of scratching our temples. Like, what is it about, about I guess it's, it's a history of ag uh, be, voting that way, like it's a voter block, like it's just a culture of voting that way. I, I can't really. It's I, like not wanting really government say. in your business. Maybe. I mean, I really is, think you know, it comes like down to that. And Americana <clears throat> and, um, and, you know, and, and, it, and um, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really think about things. I, I try to, to be nonpartisan and, and to the person who maybe just heard me talk for the first time and clearly you're angry at Trump. You should know that I'm angry at everybody. If that's an office, and you're not going doing what I think you should be doing, and of course, you know, I'm, I'm an activist type, right? Yes. So, and so I meet these 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 growers, and they're you know Republicans, and 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 I'm you know I want to push things. I I'm I'm a rebel, right? Like I'm stealing yeah. fire from the gods. I'm bringing inside information and giving it to consumers with the help of whist- brave whistleblowers. Bring this information to the masses, and we change the world, and we do it from the bottom up, ground up, grassroots, you know, in that way. And um, they they don't really care. <laughs> like they don't care. They just you know they don't see. They don't want to make a you know they're not trying to make a difference. They just want a fair deal. They want a fair deal, but they don't want to uh, work together to get it. And that's the thing that I find so, um, so perplexing. I just don't. I mean, there's the Organization for Competitive Markets that Mike Weaver is in charge of. um, And there's a few other guys like him. There's, uh, you know, Mike Calicrate, who's in the cattle business out in Colorado has Mm -hmm. been. And then there's the whole RCAF. um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm in a coalition with them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they're... They are uh, they're small groups that don't seem to be able to attract as much support as you and I would think would be intuitive to them. And that's that's, you know, that's just a very puzzling aspect of this whole thing. It's like, where is their hero? I mean, yeah. Grassley's a hero in, in, in to some degree, but 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 not compared to me. My, just my my observation. Look what Cory Booker's done. Right. You know, who's he? Yeah. I don't know, the biggest hero of contract growers. <laughs> also, like, a potential, you know, let's be honest, potential Democratic candidate. I mean, that's yes. the, I mean, I think we all kind of know where this is headed. But, yeah. 
isn't that weird? I mean, he's done all of this uh, this work to to try to stop retaliation and um, protect the farmers. Yeah, and it, and yet he's he's could not be more different from them. And as far as political ideology. Yes, absolutely. Well, so let's let's move on here and talk a little bit about <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> what, you know, what what could happen. Like if like, say uh, these suits go forward, you know, well, they are going forward. But say say you get a big win out of uh, Eric Hedrick's suit. What what kind of implications will that have for contract growers going forward? Does that does that seem like something that would change the you know level the playing field a little bit to use a cliche? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's why a nonprofit, so, you know, so I'm part of the Food Integrity Campaign, it's a government accountability project, and um, what, that's kind of our thrust, is mm-hmm. to, to pr- bring consumers back on a eye-to-eye with, with the people selling them this food, right. these mega industries, and Monsanto's, and Bears, and all this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, and litigation is a part of that. Through whist- these whistleblowers, through these truth-telling people, we're we're able to get information that levels the playing field. So you asked, does it level the playing field between the farmer and the and the um, and the industry? Yeah. Well, yes, right. Because if if there's a like get levy like levy some big verdict, you know, like that's going to change things. It's going to change that. But what more importantly, it, that's going to create the shift in in knowledge and transference of that knowledge through whistleblowing, right? So through the inside and out. And then that's where the pressure has to, the pressure is going to start when the people start caring. Like it just, that's just how it goes because we change our our whole culture of what's acceptable in the food industry has to change. And that's not going to change unless people know what's happening. So, I mean, yeah, of course, I I think it will. And you should know too, it's a, you know, we're not the only, certainly not the only game in town. There's a lot of not a lot, but a handful of other um, sure. other folks doing litigation right now too. That's a good sign, right? Because yeah. the lawyer, the, the lawyers smell chum like sharks. <laughs> like, like, like there could be a win here, right? They wouldn't. None of these lawyers would pile on to losers, you know. Yeah. So something something's happening. There's a there's a shift, and 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 there's blood in the water, and um, I don't know. I think we we could see some changes. Through litigation, unfortunately, litigation is so takes so long. It you know? does, but you know, I think about. <clears throat> I mean, I I think we should wrap it up here. But I I just wanted to, you know, we were talking about a shift coming, and I was amazed that those North Carolinian communities uh, prevailed against Murphy Brown, the subsidiary Whoa. of Smithfield, in the uh, nuisance lawsuit that they brought, mm-hmm. and they got a big whopping judgment. Now they may not see that money, but the fact is, is that they were awarded that judgment, and it's being appealed, obviously, by Smithfield. But nevertheless, the judge was sympathetic for really the first time. I think this is the first time that uh, an industrial player has been found uh, accountable or guilty of. And I'm hoping that that's what will happen here with uh, Mr. Hedrick's case. Oh, I, I mean, that's I mean, one can only dream. But you have to understand, too, I mean, I'm sure you do, but everyone else listening, that a victory in court is not a, not you know is not doesn't have that immediate there's the leveling there but there's more to more to go because yeah. in some of those articles the um you would be surprised to know that instead of people high-fiving these poor people who have been had poop sprayed all over them right. for years are getting justice the the response is from the industry and from the communities that are not being affected is that there is going to be a plague of lawsuits. The plague is the people who, who, who were injured. So 
that's what they think. So there is a um, there, that shows you, and I think um, new, this nuisance stuff and, the, and, and people you know, being injured you know, through, through fecal spray onto fields is very similar to what happens to these growers. Nobody wants to take take responsibility, and no one wants to see those people prosper. I know it's going to sound weird to a lot of listeners, but that's how people feel about, you know, poor white Trump supporters, too. Nobody really cares what happens to those people. And unfortunately, that's what you're hearing, of course, in North Carolina. There's a lot, as great as, as these victories are, we have to continue to soften the discourse around coming forward when you're hurt. You know, these marginalized folks need to be represented yeah. Beyond just a, a win in, in court, it, it, we need to have that culture change I was talking about with farmers, too. Yeah, I agree. Well, on that, I'm going to give you a moment to promote yourself shamelessly. Um, tell us all about where people can learn more about the Government Accountability Project and the Food Integrity Campaign, of which you are the director, and some of the information they can find on your site. Well, um, thank you all for listening uh, to me, and thank you, Katie, for inviting me back. Um, oh, yeah. Let's do it again <laughs> you soon. You can find me at foodwhistleblower.org, um, and uh, you can see that we have several different campaigns in different issue areas. I suspect if you're listening to this radio show, you are going to connect with, with at least one of those uh, issue areas or cam- campaigns, and yeah. I invite you to, to, to join us and, and become more involved with social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, but also if you're interested, uh, join our email list. We do not, we do not harass and harangue you. It's not, not a terrible thing. Um, <laughs> we, once a month, maybe, we'll send you an email letting you know what's going on. Right. And we will be letting you know about our 10-year anniversary. Yes. Um, and the different events that we'll be hosting around uh, town and maybe even uh, in your neck of the woods. So, oh, that would um, be great, Amanda, because we're celebrating our 10th, too. We should do something. We then. should you absolutely should... do something together. I would love that. Yeah. Can, we'll, can we'll you do like a it. live, live thing, like talk to people at the conference or something? That'd be great. Yes, I can make something live, like so that happen, going. I'm sure. I'm yeah, absolutely yeah, sure of it. What if you, I mean, we were going to do a big conference. What if you just, you know, interviewed people at, and maybe we could create or get a room for you and you could do interviews? Yes, I did and, that for Nyman Ranch. I would love that. Okay, we'll talk about this off the air, but yes, let's let's make a plan. Um, Folks, (laughs) thanks very much for listening. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, people, the next time you hear my voice, I will be speaking to you from sunny Madrid, which will be about the same temperature, but um, certainly a change of pace for me, and uh, I think probably a fun change of pace for you. And um, thanks so much for listening today, and thanks to my sponsor. Did I say that already? Yeah, probably. And uh, thank God Matt can edit that out. (laughs) See you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.